0: I Got Here. The inside stories of startups and innovation and travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. This is How I Got Here, Mozio and FocusWire's podcast about innovators in travel and transportation. Today, we're joined by Caitlin Zeno-Von-During from Porter & Sale. Porter & Sale was founded in 2015 by Caitlin and Deepak Trivastava with a focus on building technology to support local independent hotels. Uh, Thanks for joining us, Caitlin.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So, we like to start every uh, one of these podcasts out the exact same way, which is to ask you how you got here.
1: Yeah. So, Porter and Sale was founded in 2015. Um, I had been originally working for the United Nations, traveling a ton, staying in amazing hotels, and feeling like I was having these incredible experiences on property. And then, when I would try to explore the city or connect with the property itself, I was really left feeling flat. They would give me, like, a printed piece of paper. They'd be like, this is where you should go out to eat. So we thought, man, isn't there a way to sort of redefine the concierge for today's traveler? I'm on my phone, my friends are on my phone, we're all emailing a ton. So that's the premise of the idea originally with Porter and Sale. Let's meet the modern traveler where they were. And then as we dove into hospitality, we were just blown away at, like, how much innovation had yet to come to the hospitality space. And we felt like hotels could really benefit from modern tech. And so we built over five years um, different assets and tools to connect amazing hotels with this sort of modern traveler, a concierge app, mobile check-in, mobile checkout, keyless entry, authentic destination content to explore a city. And then on top of that, pre-arrival e-commerce sort of experiences where a guest could really curate and, and um uh, create their own sort of bespoke stay. So, we spent five years connecting hotel and traveler, and then coronavirus hit, and we sunset all of those products. And today, you're really focusing on an e commerce platform that allows consumers to bank incredible deals at the world's very best hotels. And the only hitch is that you either travel now or you travel anytime in the future for the next two years. So, you bank up to 50% off um, and the price is sort of a variable. Your voucher is what it is and you travel when you're ready.
0: Cool. Well, thanks for the summary there. So one of the reasons why I was interested in getting you on our podcast is because there's uh not as much of a focus on kind of the fact that there's a huge long tail of small hotels out there. And uh, recently there has been more technology companies addressing that, um, how you can actually provide a good, really good digital booking experience to these boutique hotels that maybe a Marriott can't uh, uh, afford, you know, a Marriott could afford, but these guys can't um, and it, making it possible to have them actually compete with the Expedias of the world. Uh, I'd, I'd love if you to just like delve a little bit more into each of those tools you built up until uh grown hit.
1: Well, that was it, right? Like, we saw that you had these amazing hotels. Let's take, like, Conservatorium in Amsterdam, right? Like, ADR was 600 plus a night. I mean, it's a really, it's a it's a really upper upscale property. It's an amazing property. And yet that's a really small collection or collection of hotels where they were struggling to create digital products that would support their traveler. And yet that guest was coming in with the expectation that the hotel would have a whole suite of technology. I mean, if you can order your grocery stores on your phone, if you can do everything on your phone, why would you stay at the world's best hotels and not be able to like engage with that property in a digital aspect? So for us, we were like, okay, so unless you're a big brand you're not able to touch technology and on top of it we felt like hotels that were were doing it in a really clunky manner because it's hospitality it's like heads on beds it's not tech and so we could come in and we can create something that really felt from a lifestyle perspective aspirational and warm and amazing and yet had really incredible technology that was best in class to actually do what it was supposed to do from the hotel's perspective, which was to provide the user with an incredible experience through technology as they would any touch point. It was high touch, high tech. And we really leaned on trying to empower boutique and independent hotels to play at that level. Plus you have like online travel agencies that take tons of data, don't share that with the hotel. And we were hearing hotels being like, You go outside of the lobby, it's the black hole. We don't know where you're going, what you're doing. So we also wanted to capture loads of data and be able to deliver that back to the hotels. We were like, we're fighting for the hotels, we're standing for the independent hotel to really meaningfully play in this space.
0: So I, how'd it go? So, I mean, you pivoted a lot, uh, you know, during coronavirus. So it sounds like, and I, and I think this is often a, a, a problem with working with independent hotels. It's like herding cats. Like everyone has a different, you know, preference. I, I, I'm guessing that might be one of the reasons why you pivoted, but I, I, I'm curious.
1: Yeah, I feel like herding cats is an understatement. Like, <laughs> um, Look, we we took off pretty fast. Like 2015, we were piloting. We were piloting at amazing hotels, like Soho House. I don't know why they were looking at us, but they did, and they gave us a shot. And we, we did amazing. We bought in 2016 a competitor called Guest Driven out of Montreal. That's where we brought in our e-commerce play. We They had a team of 50 in a huge warehouse in Montreal. We had what 10 people working for Porter and sale. And we doubled the revenue we were driving on e-commerce because they were doing like a whole spray and pray. Let's sell bottomless sodas. And we were like, Nope, let's sell upsells to luxury suites. Let's sell big ticket items. Let's go to hotels that, um, have higher ADRs and higher average basket size. We're going to get way more bang for a buck. And we did. And so through the e-commerce platform and through the concierge app, we were doing incredibly well and had a ton of growth we've got we had great partnerships with folks like design hotels what we saw in probably 2019 was a plateau that like everyone was kind of over it everyone was kind of over an app everyone was kind of over the whole experience hotels were being able to like figure out how to do this in new ways and so we were we felt like we needed to move anyway and we were in the process of building a very personalized recommendation engine we were like we're going to build the Warby Parker for online travel booking, meaning it's going to be hyper-personalized, super lifestyle. It's going to focus on this next generation of travelers. We felt like travel. the next generation of travelers felt connected to a hotel tonight or an Airbnb, but they're not, they weren't feeling connected to Expedia or even a tablet, right? So could we build that brand that would create that kind of trust and create a really cool tech experience that would, allow you to not go to 38 booking sites before you make a choice, but to really hone in and almost like a dating site, match the consumer with their very best hotel. We were booking that. We were building that, excuse me. And then coronavirus hit. So we just like, just completely stopped building that. Um, So it was it was great for a while. And then once we hit that plateau, we were like, if we want to stay relevant and travel, we need to figure out essentially how we're going to drive a volume of meaningful guests to these properties and frankly, make hotels sexy again. Like, why is Airbnb winning Airbnb at the I think the product itself kind of sucks. Like, I don't want to sleep in some guy's house. I want. I want to stay at a hotel. Hotels are awesome. So our whole thing was like, we're going to continue to fight for the hotel. They just need help in, in creating meaningful technology for today's guest.
0: So it's, it's interesting. You mentioned Warby Parker and Warby Parker is known for a lot of things, uh, but one of the biggest is brand uh, and kind of this, this new uh, wave of, you know, kind of CPG brands. But um it's that I think that's an impression you you immediately get from your site. You have these influencers and tastemakers on, on your website. Um, your branding overall it does uh, I think uh, ironically actually uh, really embrace uh, the reason why so many travel entrepreneurs get into travel is they think it's going to be the Amsterdam conservatorium. Uh, experience, not the dealing with back end GDSs like I do. <laughs> uh, so you, you, you like what I found interesting. Like, was this focus of yours on the brand? And I, I thought, like, you know, like it seemed like you were almost trying to put like a sort of alliance on top of many of these independent hotels. Right. And um, and it reminded me of kind of some of the, you see these every once so these alliances where people they they ba- ba- they band together mostly so that like they're all independently owned but they have some central system. Is that was that Part of the angle as well
1: oh definitely totally all of that and that's the thing like we wanted if you're doing if you're working with these amazing hotels that you know throwing around these names the brand has to be there right because they're not even going to look at it if the hotel itself will not look at the product if it's not representative of a brand that they can get behind the consumer why you're traveling and why you want to travel at these amazing spots is it's a lot of it is aspiration it's a home that's better than yours it's living a life that's better than yours for a moment so we really leaned into it has to be sexy it has to be beautiful it has to be aspirational Um, And then bring everyone together, for sure, in sort of this co-op collective experience, right? Like a small luxury hotels experience, but again, let's contemporize it a little bit. Um, A leading hotels of the world, but with that modern edge and twist. So we definitely felt like, and especially post-pandemic, let's bring these amazing hotels together in one collective. Let's create this incredible brand offering. Let's introduce all these hotels to new audiences, open up new distribution streams and platforms, and really have a powerful network effect globally of the world's best hotels. So that was the strategy. What's interesting, just for a second, to lean into your point about the GDS, it was sort of a double-edged sword and continues to be for us because we were so brand focused that hotels then think it's almost like we're too pretty. Then they think that we're not smart, right? They'll be like, but, and so we always have to back it up with, like, yes, we have Synex's certification, Amadeus' certification. Yes, we can connect to your PMS, or we understand the POS system. And they don't always believe, like, we have the tech chaps because we look so pretty. So we end up having to go to battle with someone like a Norwan, or we used to historically, which feels like a very different product because it's almost like they were. No offense to Norwan, they're boring, but they're functional and they get it. You guys are pretty, but do you actually get it? I mean,
2: we did. That's, that's great. Hi, Kaylin. It's Kev here. Thanks ever so much for joining us. So, And I'm always interested in uh, the origin stories with around companies. There's, there's often a, a very diverse way that David and I kind of tackle these interviews. Well, I'm always quite interested in the kind of the makeup and how things came together. I mean, it's yeah. you said the tech chops in your last answer there. And I'm kind of curious. I mean your background is in the UN and you worked for the BBC for a while and Deepak, your co-founder was a, a Dropbox and more in the banking Morgan. industry, Morgan Stanley, right? So yeah. how, first of all, how did you two get together to form the business and how did you get your tech chops so quickly in order to solve the problem that you, you thought needed solving?
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. There was, and certainly in hospitality, like, you have to learn the discourse of hospitality. So it's a tech side and the hospitality side, right? So, well, one is part of our team, for sure. So I can talk about our CTO and our director of product. Um, But for us, so I had a startup prior to Porter & Sale called The Urban Grocer. It started as a blog, turned into a content discovery platform. I then sold it as a television show to Cooking Channel. And it was all about, like, cool food trends that were intersecting with art and pop culture. And um, when I sold it to Cooking Channel, I was introduced to a woman that worked there. Um, Her name was Momoko, and I was like, I'm looking for a co-founder on the Urban Grocer because I want to sort of grow that into a business. It was a blog that kind of took off and I want to do something with it. And so her and I teamed up, and within two days of teaming up, we retired the Urban Grocer and actually pivoted to Porter and Sale. And Momo and I worked together for about six months, pretty hardcore. But she was moving to Tokyo. She moved to Tokyo and in the process introduced me to her friend from college which was Deepak. And Deepak had all of the finance background at the time. We just needed to raise money. So we were like, I need someone that can think in that fashion. Like I knew content and I knew technology because the urban grocer was a blog that I developed into a website. Then we can, I mean, this is like 2010 when blogs were the thing. So I learned, (laughs) like I learned how to do like, it was all WordPress, but like I learned a lot in that process about creating technology that meaningfully engages a consumer that create, you create editorial that has a depth of engagement to inspire or to lead to a transaction or an action so a lot of that i learned during the urban grocer came in; he helped us raise money then we just hired an awesome tech team so our cto she has been in technology for like 20 years worked for a company that um sold to travelocity Has built company has built tech teams, the companies that then exited. So she came with both a tech background, obviously that was pretty deep, but also within travel and even the OTA space. Um, And then our director of product was at MIT and Amazon. So we brought in the best tech talent that we could find or afford.
2: Was it through the, the 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 CTO that you got your connect your early kind of connections? To the hotels as customers because you know coming in cold without any travel experience if you didn't have her forging those relationships with the hotels early on would argue arguably been, been quite a tough task or did she help with that
1: she didn't help with that um i'm okay. a hustler i did all of it i don't know
2: <laughs> excellent I I yeah i
1: did all of it um momoko my first co-founder was super connected so she would like and deepak by the way also super connected deepak if you've met him I mean, David, you said this earlier, like, you met Deepak once, like, you will be friends with him for the next 40 years. So we had sort of a breath of connections, and then I just went and, and sold the shit out of it as best I could with a prototype on an iPad. Um, and that worked somehow. And that's the thing, like, people were hot on tech at the time because they were trying to put iPads in rooms. And I was like, no one's putting yeah. an iPad in your pocket Put good tech on a phone. Don't tell me where the boardroom is with an app. I don't care where the boardroom is. Tell me, tell me something that's going to solve a guest pain point. And so I created. We created that technology, and because of the brand, we're able to get some early interest, and then grew that traction.
2: It's interesting, you know. It's what you were saying about the kind of the hotel requirements. Even in those early days, you know, a lot of it was about content and providing a nice concierge service. But was there already? Uh, a pressure on actually this concierge service also needs to make us some money as well. So we're thinking about ancillary revenue and things like that, or was that a secondary part of it? Do you think?
1: It definitely happened. It was secondary, but so when we first launched, it was like, I was still talking to concierges in 2014, 2015, like early days Mm. pre-launch. I was literally having conversations with the concierge. Now who, Mm. who has a concierge? I mean, it's not, it's not there in the same way. Um, But then, we were it, we did well, and we would say to hotels, you know, your average guest is in the app for thirty minutes. What would you do if you had thirty minutes to talk to your guest? What are you telling them?
2: So just on that, is thirty minutes is that per day or per length of stay? Because that's an incredible stat.
1: Per length of stay, so it was usually over okay. two and a half days. They would go back in four or five times and spend five, six, seven minutes a session.
2: That's yeah okay. That still seems quite a lot though, but a good a good opportunity to do all those other kind of things that that you ordinarily would have to deal with at the desk or, as you say, with the concierge, right?
1: Well, this is it exactly. So, like, I remember saying that too a large hospitality brand once in a meeting and they kind of scoffed at that and they were like the only reason somebody spends 30 minutes in our app is if they leave it open on accident um <laughs> so like we we got it we knew how to solve the guest pain point we weren't telling them you know here's stupid information you don't need we were telling them information that they were eating up so we had an opportunity yeah. to then sell them something but the in early days we weren't selling them anything we were just engaging and so we thought the hotels would be really down for all the data that we had, but they just didn't know what to do with it. So that's where the guest-driven acquisition became really important because that was, all right, now I've got their attention. Now we need to get them to, to purchase. And so through the guest-driven acquisition, we added on this sort of pre-arrival component. But that was also pretty game-changing for us because it, it necessitated linking, hooking into the PMS. So now we were getting guest records every morning and able to convert them to pre-arrival and then on top of it to the full app experience. So that really was pretty game-changing for us when we were able to own sort of that entire guest journey post-booking.
0: So I wanted to just go back to something you said. You said you guys reached a plateau. That's, I think, the word you used. So, and you said people, like, our hotels were kind of over it. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? And I have a couple follow-up questions.
1: So it was interesting because... I guess, like, this the sexiness or the appeal of the modern concierge was sort of like, oh, eh, they're, now you, the whole, I think, novelty and why we first came about of connecting the hotel and guests, they were finding other ways to do that, even through, like, an Instagram, right? Like, different ways of connecting with their consumer that they were having success with. And so, they were asking all of a sudden for check-in and check-out, which was great, except that, Every government has a different regulation for security at a hotel, let's say, or every hotel has a different set of criteria. So the keyless entry, everybody wanted keyless entry. We built keyless entry, but no, the hotels didn't use it and the guests didn't use it. So like they're all of a sudden they were like, okay, now what we want from technology is all of this functionality. But at the end of the day, because hotel software systems are so closed and because the hotels are still so operationally human driven it became really hard to actually have meaningful technology replace some of that function and so they thought that they wanted it and we would build it but it wouldn't really work and so it it became we lost sort of product market fit i think in 2019 which made it harder for us to sell meaningfully right because we were driving revenue, yeah, but the revenue wasn't game changing. And we had technology, yeah, but the technology wasn't game changing. And then we could, we could build out new systems and products, but they were expensive and consumers weren't using them. So it became a really tough proposition for us to figure out like, what is the future of travel? And so we're big believers of like the future is what you, the best way to predict the future is to invent it. So we were like, forget the hotel, We can't listen to them anymore. We have to go back to the 2015 mentality of hotels don't get it, let's see the future for them and build something that will fundamentally have an impact and that will be on like filling rooms but with a meaningful guest and extend the lifetime value of that guest through the different mechanisms and learnings and product suite that we had. So that's kind of where we were going. We were trying to figure out how do you connect to the new guest experience and define the future of travel.
0: So it's funny, that reminds me about like, uh, you know, Mosio, we aggregate different uh, forms of ground transportation and um, before uber there was taxi magic and uh, taxi magic tried to work with individual taxi companies and they gave them tracking software because they said they wanted the tracking software and wouldn't use the tracking software yeah. and I, a lot of yeah. what you're saying actually reminds me like the, the whole thing only really worked actually when they wholesale threw out all those relationships and decided to rebuild it from the ground up and I think of almost like the equivalent in your industry is like a sonder or someone like that who goes like oh you don't you don't want to adapt keyless entry well we're forcing you to adapt entry. This entry because there's no one at the front who is going to do it, and it, it forces that. And Mozio is a different philosophy, I think it's maybe slightly more aligned with yours, where we've realized okay, we need to know exactly where we can make someone do something we want them to do and where it's just not going to work. Yeah. And it sounds like you guys came to that conclusion. It was like, these guys are independent. They're not going to really uh, conform to certain things we need them to do, so let's change strategy. And I'm curious that, like, if you have any recommendations for people like, who want to work with independent hotels on you know, like what they need to avoid and what are those underlying dynamics that you kind of didn't understand uh, that you do now.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, oh man, it's important to realize how disparate the industry is. Like every hotel, especially at the independent level will operate differently. It's different systems and softwares. I mean, fine, 80% of hotels will use opera, but then there's Protel, Then there's regional like HMS, RMS. Like, so you really like Impala, that startup out of the UK, but they're trying to create sort of a black box that connects with all the PMI, Like, that's sort of where you want to be. You don't want to try and play at the ground level, super micro, like hotel over hotel, because you can't. Like, because of how different it is, you have to almost look at it in a macro level view, and how do you, the way that we see it is, how do you productize something rather than go project by project? Because if you fall into a trap where you're trying to build something for hotels and you end up listening to every hotel and building for that hotel, you're just an agency. And so when you think about scale, you, you can't scale in the industry unless you go macro and find solutions that can be applied within the context and leaning into the consideration that everyone operates differently. Like you have to accept that as the reality, the condition with which you're working in and not make your company like rely on conformity. You have to build the conformity into the company. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I think you you need to like figure out where that line is, uh, you know, between overly customization and saying, okay, well, this country, this system, this PMS system, this that. Before you know it, like literally, your first ten clients, all of you have to build something custom for everyone. and you, you can't get a startup off the ground like that. No. So I get it. Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm also fascinated by this pivot though because uh, it sounds like you guys made the right decision, but. Um, the fascinating part to me isn't even necessarily the business side, but the emotional choice to throw out something you've been working on for five years. And I see this consistently with startup founders ride their failing business into the ground for 10 years. And because it is making some money and, um, and and yeah, like, I'm curious, how did you deal with that psychologically?
1: I think, okay, so first, like complete acknowledgement of the a major public health loss and economic loss of the of the pandemic but we were in many ways saved by that environment that we had an opportunity then within that environment to throw everything out like we could have what we were trying to do before was slowly sunset those products while building out a new product with a very limited team and that became very very hard to maintain what the pandemic kind of allowed us to do is hotels stopped, like everything stopped. And while that was scary, that gave us a moment to do something new because there was all of a sudden no expectation. Hotels were dealing with their own shit. Like everybody was trying to pay their mortgage. So our moment, I mean, from the, from the time that travel halted till we launched this product was 10 days. I mean, it was, I mean, we launched the product. We decided to launch it in 48 hours had launched it like 48 hours later launched it. But the sort of steps of with, with which we realized hotels are shutting down, hotels are now hospitals, like travel is stopped. All of that sort of happened in, in very fast succession. And then we realized, I think our company is dead. And so we need to rebuild a new company. And we were able to rebuild the new company because we had this moment where nobody was paying attention or wanted us anyway. And so we got lucky because we, we did what we always tried to do which is really solve a problem and so we're like okay hotels can't pay their mortgages and they need to bring cash in but nobody can come into the door so how do you sell a hotel room when the hotel is closed and that was hotel credits you just sell it later and you incentivize the guests to purchase travel in an unpredictable environment by giving them a massive discount on something that's never discounted so You can save the world's best hotel and save 35%, 50%, but you have to buy it now and you have to pay it now and it's non-refundable now in the environment where no one can travel and there's a major virus in the world is ending, So we got consumers to do that. We drove over $115,000 in sales in like an eight week period, while hotels were closed during an economic downturn um, because consumers, still had a desire to travel, and they knew they would travel again, they just weren't gonna do it right now. And so in doing that, we solved a major problem for hotels because they were closed, and we represented the only cash flow for many hotels in April and May, like the only cash flow. And we went from three hotels that we launched with to 100 hotels in less than 90 days, where it took us about 18 months for the same growth in our old business in the in the legacy product
2: now what's interesting um you know and it's it's a really it's an interesting story what you did so quickly and, and the reasons why you did it and those kind of things but you know you would have had existing partnerships with hotels for using the old product so talk us through kind of the unraveling of that because you've gone from something else or was it, or was it kind of slowly on the decline anyway and you things just kind of naturally came to an end? That's the first question. So answer that. I've got another one for you. It
1: didn't it didn't slowly come to an end. That's where like we got this reprieve when the virus happened because we were like, man, we have to keep on servicing these clients, but we know we need to shift our product. And so when they when guests stopped coming in, we were like, there's no guests coming in, so let's shut everything off. And at first we said we're going to pause all of, we're going to defer all of your fees. Like, cause then we pay, we get a commission off of a, of a transaction or whatever. So, or like people pay a SAS fee, hotels would pay a SAS fee for the concierge product. So we were like, defer your fees until June. And then three days later we had to send out another message because hotels just shut down. And we were like, all, all, all fees are just paused. And then we had to send another message like a day later that said the product is shut down. So it wasn't, it wasn't slow because nobody was coming, so nobody was using it. And we just said, we can't continue to service a product that no one is using. Everything is sunset until further notice. And then we only started to open up our um, – hotels only started to open up from our client base over the past two or three weeks, and we only let our hotel clients know on Friday, like this past Friday, that we weren't re-engaged. We weren't building out the new product. That, that wasn't going to continue it was officially retired. So it was a pretty quick process overall, but we felt like we have the potential to make more money with this product for those partners. So we didn't feel bad because if you're making $100,000 over a year with our old product, you could at least make that with the new product, if not more.
2: Are you not tempted if in a couple of months time all your hotel customers come back and say, oh, but we really missed the concierge thing? Can you resurrect yeah. it? Is that something that you might have to reconsider doing because the demand is there because uh, presumably it was a good product before and they all want to carry on using it now that they've got great occupancy from the other products of yours that they're using?
1: Totally tempted. And I think like you were saying, like a you know, right, that yeah. person will have a product go for 10 years. like. And if I, I just looked at the app the other day, I was like, it's so pretty. Like it's such a gorgeous <laughs> product. I love it so much. And then you look at, like, the unit economics and the, how much account management it took and how we weren't, you know, the margins were so thin. So it's that is less tempting. When we look at, we had to terminate. We had a team of 20. Now we have a team of six, including two, two co-founders. So really just full, four full-time staff, plus Deepak and I. And we're making more money, moving faster, growing faster having higher margins, faster, better customer acquisition, like from a pure business perspective, this is a better business. But it, it's, it, it is hard to let go of, of the work that we had done. What's even more hard is reading all the articles that hotels want everything to be contactless. And we were doing that, and that's like what <laughs> our moneymaker was supposed to be. And so it is hard to now not go after that opportunity.
2: Yeah, I mean it's 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 a fascinating story, Caitlin. I mean, you within the space of what five, nearly six years or whatever, you know, you've you've launched the business, you've pivoted, and you've gone through, and you're you know you're soldiering through this crisis at the moment. If we can just go back a couple of years to another. You know, another important milestone in any kind of startups life, which is an acquisition when you bought um, Guest Driven in late 2016, early 2017. That's right. I remember, I remember writing about it. I'm just looking at the story uh-huh. I wrote all those years ago. And, um, you know, how did you how did you kind of approach that acquisition? How did it come about?
1: Um they emailed us and, like, okay. guest-driven, just <laughs> emailed it I'm sure they were emailing everyone, um, you know, and, and so they reached out to us. And Deepak, you had mentioned, worked for Morgan Stanley. Luckily, he worked in M&A for Morgan Stanley. And so Deepak had run a 1,000 m as but not a 1,000, but that was what he did, right? And so um, yeah. I got it, and I was like, oh, man, they're a competitor, and they're for sale. This is really wild what, like, we should have a conversation, if nothing else, just to do a market check and see what's up. And Deepak was like, no, no, I think we can do it. And was able to, like, persevere through that entire acquisition. And he really is the architect behind all of it. Um, We got really lucky. I think everybody else, they they had a few different folks that were looking at it. And those folks ended up not following through. There were some, you know, when you kind of Dug beneath the surface of that company, there was a lot of great stuff and there was a lot of baggage that came along with it, as you know, any company that's been around for a long time. So, we gave them a price that accounted for that baggage and we were able to move quickly and we paid all cash. And so, it's sort of like, you know, are we going to get a mortgage or are we going to give you a briefcase of cash? And that briefcase of cash kind of like did the talking for us, even if it was lower than the price would have been had we done some sort of like you know, uh, founders staying on equity. And we were just like, this is the cash and you could have it next week. And so that was the deal that they took.
2: Now, I mean, the, how I got here podcast is very much about the origin stories and the backstories to people's kind of businesses and their kind of personal history as entrepreneurs. But given the, the timeliness of what you've just done, which is, you know, Pivoted in the midst of this crisis and you've scaled back to six people. I mean, can you give us a sense of how you see the next kind of six months to a year kind of shaping out for you? Just because, you know, it's just an interesting part of what you've had to do in such a short space of time.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're pretty, we're pretty bullish about it. We're excited about it. I mean, I don't know if it's clear through this conversation, but Deepak and I are very resilient co-founders that really look to find as much opportunity from down moments as possible and um, really thrive, in fact, in that environment for better or worse. We actually thrive in chaos and and crisis. So this is this perfectly suits us. We're like very happy to be here in this moment and we want to grow it. And we think that there's an opportunity to define the future of travel. For what, 15 years, 10 years, travel was on this explosive growth. Hotels would not have looked at this kind of offer in February of 2020. And now we're filling an innate need for them to bring cash in the door. And there are not a lot of options to do so. We're quick, we're scrappy, we're agile, we're fast, we're effective. We're offering so much against a larger company or even a startup that has more people. That's just a little slower to move. So for us, we're moving as fast as possible. We're super data-driven. We're really trying to focus on meaningful outcomes for the properties. And we feel like we can redefine the future of travel that The future of travel has to be flexible, that even if people are confident that they see a light at the end of the tunnel, that in fact this is a very unpredictable virus in an unpredictable environment and so we have to build for the downside scenario. We want to build a travel company that that also thinks about social consciousness and the impact travel has had on the pandemic and climate change. So you know, we've talked about how we were already moving, trying to build a product for a next generation of travelers. We actually think this is it. And the moment has been brought to us. And so we want to use this to redefine how people book travel, given ultimate flexibility, smart choices about travel, an awakening and awareness of travel impact, and really basically offer the world's best hotels at revolutionary prices while building a company that does something for good.
0: So it's interesting you said uh, you, you were talking about the future of travel. It reminded me of the um, interview we just did with the founder of Inspirato, and he actually said that they weathered this, you know, the coronavirus a lot better than anyone else in the travel industry because they're membership based. And um, I like I have another business that I, I won't go into, but I'll, I'll tell a little about the origin story. In that we actually once tried to get bars and nightclubs to start membership programs, and. We definitely had you know a moment here where we rolled our eyes, and you know once this uh, once this virus hit, it was like. You know, these guys were very transaction based, they weren't loyalty based. We tried to introduce and say there's value to you guys in having you know people come back and back and maybe give them some drink discounts and uh, take a membership fee. Um, and no one was really interested, so we pivoted away from that business. And uh, and I, I see a lot of uh, kind of similarities, uh, just from the Inspirato lesson from my own lessons, you know, and nightlife and hospitality. It seems like almost like what you're saying is when you say it should be flexible, it almost seems like you might be alluding to a membership program. Is that the future? Uh, of what you're looking at? Because like right now, obviously coronavirus will pass, right? Like at some point people won't have as big of a need to, to sell that. So how are you planning on transitioning into the future?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there's something interesting about a membership model. We definitely think we need to dis not to use this word, but really disrupt, you know, how we think about booking travel or accessing, you know, accessing these amazing hotels. And I think, There is something to be said about membership. There is something to, we we saw a lot of loyal consumers purchase from hotel brands that they knew and that they wanted to survive. Because consumers would write messages when they made a booking through Hotel Credits, the the program that we launched. So they would say things like, I love you guys, I'm rooting for you, I can't wait to come back. And they would throw down 2000 bucks in order to support that hotel. And so we definitely think that there's an opportunity to create loyalty to this network, right? Going back to that network, that network um, question. So is there a modern SLH model or leading hotels of the world model that you can look at here that kind of plays into best-in-class technology modern travel priorities and expectations and needs? And even if the environment changes where there is more predictability post-pandemic, don't consumers want to have greater flexibility? We believe that travel is going to be, at least in the near term, near-term being two years at least, guest-centric. It was hotel-centric for a very long time, just like airlines, where all of these fees are piled on, and now guests are the ones that are like, wait, 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 you want me to spend with you, you need to incentivize me to have my loyalty and to spend with you. So we absolutely think that there's an opportunity to lean into all of those sort of consumer behavior changes um, and to build a company that reflects that. And Ultimately, during a time of crisis, consumer behavior changes, and it has this time. So let's know what that changes and build for that. So that that's a lot where we are thinking about thinking about that consumer, thinking about membership, thinking about loyalty. Um, if we can get that consumer or member to behave in a meaningful way, then we're delivering value to hotels. And if you're looking at hotels operating at 40 50 percent occupancy for the next 12 to 24 months that's still very well below where they were what they need and so they're going to continue to have to rely on innovative creative models for bringing cash in the door and if we're one of those models driving the equivalent of 10 20 percent of room nights booked that's that's an addictive thing and that's going to be hard for them to walk away from even as the landscape normalizes
2: So. before we just sign off for the end of the episode, I've got a um, a question, really, that's just kind of satisfied my own curiosity, really. I mean, what's the what's the origin of the name Porter and Sail? Because, you know, on first glance, maybe people would have thought this is something to do with the maritime part of the industry with, by virtue of the word sail in it. But it is not the most obvious I would perhaps uh, per chance say that it's, you know, it's not the most obvious name for a, either a hotel tech company or a hotel booking company. What's the, what's the story behind it, Caitlin?
1: Um, That's funny. Cause actually sometimes I get like spam from, from maritime stuff,
2: like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> like wrench your yacht. And I'm like, I'm not a, I don't know about it. <laughs> um, but the, no, the, the point of it actually, you know, Momoko my first co-founder and I we thought of the name we wanted it to flex like okay when we first thought of Porter and Sale Google Glass was really big and hotels were literally like what are you doing about Google Glass and so we were really mindful that technology could um was fickle and was going to evolve quickly. So we didn't want a name that was specific to an app or mobile. We, we needed to get out of that. And we wanted to build a company that was aspirational, that was brand led, that was lifestyle led. So for us, Porter kind of like leaned back into the old school concierge or Porter rather that would open the door for the hotel, start the yeah. experience. And sale for us was exploring and being out in the world and wanderlust. So we felt like it was ambiguously upmarket it reflected aspiration and we could do whatever we could start selling cookbooks and it would still work that it just, it flexed enough for us to be able to change the business, which I'm glad for because we weren't guest driven where then if we end up changing, you're stuck with this name, that's to a really specific model. So that that's, that's sort of where it came from.
2: Okay, great. So uh, a very warm, thank you from David and I to uh, Caitlin owner everyone doing thanks ever so much for joining us, Caitlin. Thanks. Thanks very much for everything. Okay. So thank you everybody for tuning in. This was another episode of How I Got Here. These are Moseo and FocusWire's weekly podcasts where we talk to the entrepreneurs and those behind innovation in travel and transportation. As always, you can find us, if you're not a subscriber already, on all the usual platforms, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts. Leave us a nice review. Give us a rating. We always like to see your feedback. But most importantly, thanks as always for tuning in. This was How I Got Here. And we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to how i got Here
0: podcast we'll be back next week with more insight stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation check mozio.com slash move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages and get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com see you next week